0: of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be speaking with Rick Allen. He is the president and CEO of MedSent. Rick, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for uh, asking me to participate, Zach.
0: Yeah, of course. So Rick, can you tell us a little bit about MedSent and what you guys do and, and maybe share specifically what your role is within the organization Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe highlight some of the things that you guys are particularly excited about currently with what you're doing at MedSend.
1: I'd be glad to. So I'm the president and CEO of MedSend. I've been with the ministry for 11 years. Uh, As an organization, we are 26 years old. And since our founding, we've had one primary mission – and that is when a healthcare professional, pretty broadly defined doctor, dentist, nurse, but also physician assistant, uh, nutritionist, mental health professional, uh, pretty broadly defined uh, uh, healthcare mm-hmm. uh, professional uh, finishes up their education. If they are willing to uh, go as a long term uh, healthcare missionary with one of our 50 partners, uh, we will pick up their educational debt and make the monthly payment as long as they stay out in the field. So at any given time, we're paying on about 200 individuals' uh, educational loans. We've paid off in full about 175 uh, individuals where they oh, wow. have no, no debt at all. And uh, we're paying uh, about a little over $2 million a year. Uh, in uh, educational debt, and this frees individuals to get to the mission field sooner than they might be able to. Uh, otherwise, uh, it frees them from their debt. So I like to say that we're very, uh, we have a very Christ-centered model. Uh, we take your debt, you go serve.
0: That's really cool. So you're you're removing that barrier to get into the mission field because I'm assuming that when a someone coming out of their residency with all that debt and maybe wants to go into the mission field, but needs to go pay off that debt and work in the field. They get 15, 20 years into their practice and then oh, the mission field doesn't look uh, so enticing
1: anymore. That's right. That's correct. And of course, in today's world, it's, uh, you know, generally we're running between, depending upon the profession, you know, nurses generally are are running at about 50 to 60,000 and a, uh, a physician can have upwards of $200,000 in educational debt. Wow. And so, what does your
0: role look like within the organization? What does is, a what is day to day um, look like for the CEO of MedCent?
1: So, a lot, you know, we're a very uh, simple ministry, if you will, because we uh, raise money and we give it away. So uh, we're not uh, training, we're not feeding, uh, we're really a, a financial arm of Global healthcare missions. Mission. So uh, as you can imagine, uh, much of my time is spent fundraising and speaking to people, uh, helping to share what God is doing through these individuals, uh, which is truly amazing. Uh, they are uh, in um, about 82 countries. And uh, from uh, very rural areas, uh, the bush, if you will, to urban settings working in, you know, modern university hospitals, uh, training nationals um, uh, throughout Africa and Asia. So it's a a very um, broad spectrum of individuals in terms of what they're doing. And uh, my job really primarily is to raise money we do have a tremendous development team uh, that um, uh, is uh, that I come alongside of. So a lot of my uh, a lot of my work is doing that. There's an administrative end, of course, as the CEO, just uh, running mm-hmm. the organization, but we're simple. And we're, we're, we're rather flat as a as an organization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you
0: said you've been doing this with medsend for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Can you share what um, maybe one of the hardest lessons you've learned um, in this ministry and specifically within your position in leadership has been?
1: Well, yes, I, I, there's two that I'd like to share with you. The first one was that uh, uh, I am a businessman. Uh, I My first career was about 25 years in the software and professional services uh, business, uh, business to business. And um, uh, so when I first wound up at, uh, at Medzen, I was curious as to why God would lead me here. I'm, I'm not a missionary. Uh, I'm not a healthcare professional. As I said, I'm a business guy. And I started in August of 2008. Uh, and, of course, in September, the middle of September 2008, the stock market crash occurred. Uh-huh. And it became apparent to me that I was there because of my business acumen. Uh, which I had been somewhat discounting, uh, but when I realized that we really were going into a very tenuous time uh, in our economy, that someone who understood business and understood the you know how to run a, a business was going to be important. and I think that was the first lesson that I learned. Uh, And uh, the second lesson was that I was heads down for about six months trying to figure out how to, quite honestly, turn Edson around uh, because of the economic downturn. I had not met any of our missionaries yet, and I got a call one day from a a couple who were from Afghanistan, and they were coming through, uh, heading to a conference, and they asked if uh, they could come by and have lunch. So I was fascinated with this couple. They were really intriguing, uh, explaining to me their life in Afghanistan and uh, what life had been like for them. And um, about uh, five or six months later, I got an email uh, asking the wife, asking me to pray for her husband as he was leading a group of healthcare professionals on a three-week expedition, uh, a week to get over the mountains and into a valley, a week serving the people in the valley, and a week to come back. And uh, the first week, everything went great. We were able to pray for them. They were serving on the second week, and they had great success, scores and scores of people they were able to serve. And on the third week coming back, they were ambushed by the Taliban, uh, and all of them were martyred. And uh, it was a very upsetting lesson in how difficult and dangerous the world is becoming Uh uh, very, very quickly. Uh, So what I have learned is that uh, we need to be uh, in prayer on a constant basis for those that God is calling into what is becoming uh, a more dangerous world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um so one of my next questions is how do you guys communicate the stories of how God is moving through your ministry to to your donors and supporters mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. specific story in mind? Are you are you sharing that type of tragedy type story with your donors and supporters or like what does that kind of look like because it's a Sure. that's a funny um space to navigate, I'm sure.
1: Yes. So uh, that's a good question. So we're multi-platform, uh, meaning if you're interested in what you're hearing, you can go to our uh, Facebook page, on, uh, and it's MedSend. You can go to MedSend.org and sign up to receive emails uh, and or hard copy. So we're, we're multi-platform. We're connected on social media in many ways, And we try and share these stories. Uh, They really are incredible and sometimes literally miraculous. Yeah. So uh, then there are the stories that are incredibly difficult. Uh, Of course, this is one of them. And some are so sensitive that we can't share them. Uh, It just uh, isn't appropriate to, in some cases, reveal where the people are even. Uh, so we have levels of security now, and it, it's a one through four. And if mm. you're in the fourth level of security, uh, we may never talk about you. Uh, certainly, we never would without your permission. So uh, and increasingly, uh, so when I started uh, 11 years ago, we had 10 uh, percent of our people, we masked their identity and um, and uh, didn't expose their name, their face, or their actual location. Uh, Today, that's over 40%. Wow. So 4 in in 10 people that we're supporting are going to areas of the world where, for their own protection, we mask their identities, uh, and we may may or may not, depending upon the situation, circumstances, actually reveal their story. Um, But I can tell you that... uh, I like to say we can within ten minutes I, I can make you cry, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know just just to see the way that God works through these individuals who really sacrifice so much oh, yeah. uh, of the benefit of being a healthcare professional in North America, and go and live and serve in places where frankly I don't think I could live, uh, all with one intention. And that's to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is it. They don't have any other, there's no other agenda. Mm. Uh, they do it for for one reason. And uh, and therefore, God uses them in amazing ways.
0: Wow, that's really powerful. Um, I want to transition a little bit. Offline, you mentioned a personal topic that's close to your heart, mm-hmm. um, being surrender, shame, and forgiveness, the life of a Christ follower. Can you expand yes. On that idea, and share how uh, maybe a little bit of how that relates to leading an organization like MedSend, and what that looks like in a, a day-to-day practice for you.
1: Well, I'm going to come at it from a slightly different perspective. I, I, I mentioned that you know I, I have a, a fairly um, varied background, if you will. I mentioned that I was a business professional, right? Uh, but I also spent eight years as a pastor. And uh, I will tell you that when people would approach me and, and be seeking to go deeper in their faith, uh, they wanted a richer relationship with God. One of the first places I would point them to is forgiveness. Were, the, were there areas of their life, were there people, were there situations and circumstance uh, where they had not extended forgiveness uh, and that could even be to themselves. Uh, they may have, There may have been an incident in their life where uh, they just couldn't forgive themselves. Uh, it could be anger at God, where they needed to literally walk through a process of letting go, forgiving God, uh, and recognizing their place in the relationship with God. So our, uh, the, the foundation of our faith is based on forgiveness. God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we would be forgiven in his eyes. So what he expects is we learn this, as we learn the magnitude of what he was willing to do for us, he expects us to do it. So one of the foundations of our faith is learning with and extending forgiveness. And if any of your listeners, if this resonates with them, I would ask them to to go deeper in prayer and hold this up before god uh to learn how to forgive and to forgive is is not to condone it doesn't mean that you need to say it was all right whatever it was that uh you need to forgive uh what it really means is an intentional act of the will where you recognize that god is the one who has the authority to to uh, hand out consequences and you're going to let the person go You're going to forgive them for whatever they did, and you are going to be right with God in that way and let God take his responsibility and his authority to whatever needs to occur uh, for the situation to be righted, but you're going to hand it over. So, uh, you know, forgiveness only takes one. Uh, You can forgive people who have already passed away uh, because forgiveness is an intentional act of the will of the person who is doing the forgiving. So, uh, and then, you know, following right on forgiveness is this whole notion of shame. And, uh, you know, shame lives in darkness, uh, and Satan lives in darkness. And you might be ashamed of situations or circumstances that you've been put through. You may be ashamed of things that you actually did yourself. Uh, and until you confess those things and step forward and recognize them as sin and hand them over to God and ask forgiveness, we can live in shame all of our lives uh, for things we've done or for things others have done to us. And this forgiveness and shame process are tied tightly together uh, because as we forgive, as we recognize our place in the forgiveness process, We can also come to terms with any shame that is associated with the reason that we're extending forgiveness. And oftentimes, if we don't do that, we can hide. uh, We can hide the shame, and therefore never free ourselves of it. Uh, And then the last one uh, is surrender, and uh, you know we um, again it's foundational to our faith. Uh, we see Christ even on the cross surrendering, uh, asking the Father if there's any other way that He can go through this process, um, uh, and uh, uh, both in uh, as He's praying uh, as well as as He's on the um, uh, cross, uh, asking the Father why has He forget, why has He forsaken Him? So we start to see this whole notion of surrender, and I like to say that uh, particularly for men we're given the hearts of a warrior, and then uh, we're asked to surrender. Mm. And I know, at least in my life, uh, anything that I have uh, gained, uh, I don't want to surrender. <laughs>
2: right?
1: Uh, it's just not part of my nature. And yet, um, it is a part of what Christ asked us to do. And, and it is a surrendering of our will and handing our will over to him. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes we're prepared for that and sometimes we're not. But I I do encourage people to go before um, the throne uh, and the cross in prayer, uh, just asking uh, that uh, God make us into the men and women that he had designed us to be. Uh, And oftentimes that does mean surrendering who we think we are Uh, surrendering the individual that we have created uh, and allowing God to fill us up uh, and to make us the men and women that he had intended uh, before the way of this world got to us. And sometimes that is in painful situations. uh, Sometimes it's in prideful situations. But it is a a matter of intentional surrender and allowing God to rebuild your life. Hmm.
0: Well, and, and I think that applies to specifically ministry leaders and executives. Like, I, I know that that rings true for me, that idea of surrender um, with, with regards to Reliant Creative and my nonprofit and this thing that the Lord has invited me into that is a good thing, um, but is easy because I'm driven and because I'm um, an attorney achiever and and want to be successful with this thing that the Lord has called me to, it's easy to make this ministry ultimate. God didn't invite me into this to make this thing ultimate above him. He invited me into this to be a part of what he's already doing. And the yeah. same goes for all ministry leaders. I think it's easy for organizational leaders to get caught up in pursuing ministry growth and pursuing um, the success of their organizations and in place of, or making that thing ultimate above the Lord. And so having it be a, having surrender be a consistent and continual practice where we're laying the ministries that the Lord has called us to at his feet and saying, Lord, this is not mine. This is yours. You've invited me into this. I lay this at your feet. I have it. I hold it with open hands and open arms, I think is just such an important practice for ministry executives and ministry leaders to um, follow because we we don't want to even though our organizations are doing great things for the kingdom if at a personal level it's it's meaning a uh, a separation or distance with our relationship with Christ as leaders of these organizations that's not a good place to be in mhm oh uh, that's uh, that's exactly correct that's really cool so Offline, you also mentioned, and this is a bit of a transition uh, again, mm-hmm. but um, you, you mentioned the topic innovation and your board and, and moving a board through the process of innovation. Can you walk us mm-hmm. through what you mean by that? Because I think uh, this idea of um, creating a board that thinks innovatively is, could be, bring a lot of value for ministry executives and ministry leaders that might be listening.
2: Yes.
1: Well, it's it's a great segue. It may not uh, at first appear natural, but the whole idea of surrender uh, and then uh, moving a board forward uh, is directly connected. Uh, So if you are uh, looking at your organization through a lens that affirms that it's not yours, but that it is of the Lord, uh, and you're pursuing goals that you feel are of the Lord and not just your own. And I think that that's a process to go through. It's a process of surrender, it's a process of prayer. Uh, then you're on the right track uh, towards trying to provide innovation. Uh, you know there's there's any number of ways that boards uh, function, And uh, generally, they're either meeting uh, monthly or they are meeting uh, quarterly or somewhat less. Uh, In the case of MedSend, our board meets three times a year. Uh, And um, either way, uh, you have a challenge as the executive director, president, CEO, regardless of what your title is. Uh If you're in a leadership role... Uh, you have a a, a challenge uh, and and that is making sure that your board is doing board appropriate work mm-hmm. and if they're meeting monthly, uh, chances are they are very much involved in the actual decision making that is occurring within an organization and this generally happens early on in the life of uh, of a young organization where, the founder uh, starts to assemble a group of people that are friends of his or hers. And he ta- he uses them uh, as an extension of their staff. So she might have a group of friends that surround her and they're doing work on a weekly and monthly basis. And therefore they're meeting monthly and they're carrying out functions that if he or she had more money, Uh, they would hire people to do. So your board becomes an extension of your staff. And when that happens, it puts bad disciplines in place to the extent that boards really are not designed to be extensions of your staff. Hmm. And what happens is they start really owning the very specific areas that they're working on and when they're that enthralled into the nuts and bolts of a ministry oftentimes it can be very hard to step back or to step away and to be able to see the big picture you know the forest from the trees metaphor right Uh, and that that fights against innovation uh, because generally people are comfortable with what they know if you're in a volunteer situation you probably already filled up uh, your, your time slot and you don't really want to entertain other ideas of change, transformation, innovation, because it means a more, a more dedicated time to whatever the uh, objective is. So you, you have built in these natural barriers in people's behavior to trying to innovate. Uh, it, it, that's one side of it where they are very involved and maybe your board's meeting monthly. In, in the case of an organization, and I'll use our own, MedSEN, uh, the challenge that I have is that we meet twice a year together and then we meet uh, one time by phone. Mm-hmm. So I have very um, successful, very busy uh, people uh, on our board. Uh, we have a wonderful board, uh, but everybody's very busy. Right. And when they only hear from, from me three times a year and they need to think, think about, you know, complex thoughts, if you will, for, mo- for moving forward, it's hard to jam pack all that they need to know uh, into a short period of time, a day or two. Uh, so it becomes very difficult to get them to imagine another situation circumstances or or innovate in a in a different way when really these are complicated thoughts that gets them from point a to point B and they have to do the current work that they're you know working on uh, to in support of the organization so one of the things in either situation either where you have a board that is very involved in in the running of the organization or one that is, a bit more hands off isn't as frequent. You have these challenges of driving them through a process of innovation, but in in either case, uh, you, the first the first place that you have to start beyond your own surrender and make sure that you're not bringing agendas to the table that really aren't of the Lord, but they're of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, as a leader, I need to be doing this consistently as well. Uh, But once you're able to formulate a direction, then it's coming back and starting to free your board up uh, of these other things, trying to move them uh, further away from the details of running an organization, uh, which is essentially a staff function, to being part of a board which is a much more strategic function and starting to think of the value that they bring to your organization in their thinking versus their doing, right? Right. And that's the the first step to help them transition. And sometimes you need to go outside and bring in a board expert uh, to be able to help you with that. And um, uh, ECFA is a fantastic organization, uh, particularly if you are a Christ-centered ministry, uh, the Evangelical uh, uh, Council for Financial Accountability. um, And they have a lot of resources, including consultants uh, and white papers, that can help you start to educate your board on what a healthy board does. And, you know, you may have to start at that level. So, you know, we're talking, the the topic is innovation, but you may have to go through a period of transformation before you can get to innovation. And you need to transform the thinking about the value that your board members bring to the organization. Is it in their doing, uh, you know, each month or whenever they meet? Or is it in their thinking and guiding you as the leader to protect the organization and open its boundaries, open its tent, if you will, to greater ministry? So thinking through, if you're at the transformational level, trying to identify resources that will come alongside of you to help your board see what a healthy board does is a great place to start.
2: Hmm.
0: So, what would you say to organizations that maybe want to restructure their boards or, or maybe young startups who want to develop their boards further? What should they be looking for, um, when they're building a board of directors? What kind of, um, gifts and talent should they be bringing together to, to create a board that's successful, that, to create a board that is going to be, um, Helping them and guiding them in executing on the vision of where they want to go as a leader of their organization and not being um, in the weeds, as you said, uh, uh, serving as and working as uh, just extensions of staff. Mm-hmm. What would you kind of how would you, how would you encourage and push organizations that want to move in this innovative board direction?
1: yeah well that's that's a great question because there is a reason why we build boards that are in the weeds (laughs) so to speak uh and that is because we we need hands we need people to do stuff we need volunteers and i i the first what i would encourage you to do is separate your board from your volunteers don't make your volunteers your board Mm -hmm. Uh, don't get people who are interested love what you're doing uh, to be the people who are on your board. Uh, really think about them disconnected from one another. So the volunteers, the people who are extension to your staff, create a separate class uh, of, of people that can help you and come alongside of you but aren't your board of directors. Because your board of directors, you know, try and keep the the daily running of your organization Away from the board of directors, and I don't mean that. The only way I mean that is so that, that you, when you come to them or when you have a meeting, bring topics that are strategic to them. And I know how difficult this is. Uh, meaning, you're, especially if you're in a startup phase, you, you're thinking about tomorrow. You're not thinking about ten years out. You know, you're right. trying to you're trying to get through the day. Yeah, <laughs> but. You you still you still want to dream, and you want to you want to have your dreaming done with your board of directors. You want to have your board of directors helping you to identify uh, donor sources. So you know not helping you to you know submit applications to places, uh, which would be more a board. I mean, which would be more a staff function. But strategically, how do we open this up? How do I identify additional donors? How do I identify pastors who will pray for us and come alongside of us? You know, how should I be tweaking the, the, the model of which we're building this organization so that it better serves its purpose? You know, how, what direction could, be, could we be growing in? So there is this, this line, if you will, and be intentional about it, which is a volunteer to help you do the work and a volunteer to help you strategize the ministry hmm. and try to keep them apart. Uh, and and I, I know sometimes it, it, it can be difficult because people who have a passion for your, your ministry and want to help you uh, might likely, you know, you, you may very easily bring them into a, a board role because of their passion and their desire to help. But you're actually doing yourself a disservice if you do that. Uh, because ultimately, as, you, as your ministry grows and matures, you need to have people who are free-thinking, people who are not wedded to specific uh, uh, agendas or objectives within the ministry, but are looking at a much larger picture and helping you to move forward. So trying to keep, you know, specifically speaking to someone who is, young, uh, in the, the age of their organization, uh, trying to keep those two things separately is a good place to start.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, when MedSend meets with, when you guys meet with your board, you, I think you maybe mentioned this a little bit, how, what does that meeting look like? Is it a multi-day uh, meeting and conversation? Like you guys get away to go spend time together?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, It is a two day meeting over three days. So it's a a Thursday evening. We break bread together and then we meet afterwards. So it's a couple hour meeting afterwards. Uh, Then there is an all day Friday from morning to evening uh, and then a half a day Saturday. So um, it's the equivalent of two days and uh, I do a combination of things. Well, I work with the board of director. I mean, I work with um, the board chairperson in setting up the agenda. And um, oftentimes, what we'll do is we will bring in guest speakers who are subject matter experts in certain areas to help us to get our heads around things that we're considering. Right. So it could be topics, and you know, this is what I was proposing with ECFA. You know, bringing people who are uh, experts in board development and how you grow boards and what the responsibilities of healthy boards are. Hmm. So, so I, I am constantly, I try and have at least one outside perspective uh, on a given topic, uh, and that varies, you know, each time we meet but I'm trying to give them various perspectives that they're not likely to come across in their, you know, in their daily professional and personal spiritual life. Uh, so that they're constantly trying to grow. I'm, I'm stretching what, you know, what they're thinking about. Uh, and I'm trying to keep them away from, you know, moving towards running of the day to day operation of the ministry Mm -hmm. and understanding the bigger picture. Now, for you guys, what is
0: the balance look like? So let's, let's assume an organization has a healthy board, a board that is structured in a way that when they come, that board comes together, you're, you're talking big picture, visionary type conversations Mm -hmm. and, and moving in, in visionary dreamer directions. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, let's just make that assumption about a board. What is the balance for you guys of, um, Pursuing the Lord's direction in that, and having conversations around strategy, because I think it's easy for organizations to get so strategy heavy. Um, but as believers, we have we have the ultimate guide. We have the ultimate visionary that we can be pursuing and and seeking. And at the end of the day, these organizations, these ministries, are His organizations to to execute on his purposes the redemption of humanity and so we need to be seeking the lord in this and i I think a lot of times organizations will get so strategy heavy with their own ideas of what they want to do strategy wise that those are the only conversations that take place rather than seeking hey lord what do you want for this organization what direction are you taking us so what does that balance look like for you guys
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I would add just one other thing. I mean, I, that's a, it, it's a brilliant question, by the way, uh, with one other component, which is, you know, the board is responsible for the financial oversight of the organization. Mm-hmm. So although you do want them dreaming, you want them, you know, imagining, you want them kind of reaching, they are responsible for financial oversight and making sure that you, as the leader of the organization itself... Are implementing appropriate processes and handling uh, the day-to-day running of the ministry appropriately. So we must recognize that it's not just the dreaming part, because we have to come under the authority of the board. Uh, we, you know, that's who we report to as leaders. Yeah. And 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 in the end, uh, we have to allow them to be over us to, to that extent. Um, to, to allow them to, to function in their fiduciary responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to add that because I, it is easy to kind of go down this, this, you know, dreaming of the future, right? Uh, but they do have another very important role, which is oversight of what's going on today. <laughs> so, that's uh, but, but let, let me just kind of get back to your question. And, and here's my thinking on that. We, as the, so, As a leader, God has called you uh, to be the one whose personal, spiritual, you know, professional life is wrapped up within the context of the ministry. Mm -hmm. The the people who are coming to the meeting as board members, their day-to-day life is not nearly as tied up in uh, the running and the envisioning of the board uh, of the ministry itself. So... To answer your question, the first person who needs to be on their knees praying and listening is the leader, mm-hmm. right? Much more than the board, because if the leader is pursuing God's intention for the organization and really praying through it, cautiously walking, testing you know, their own thoughts, uh, surrounding themselves with advisors, uh, researching areas where they think they may be called— by the time they bring their ideas to the board, they've been fairly well vetted uh, in terms of having been brought before the throne ahead of time. So that what, you, you know, it's, it's the leader's responsibility to be able to bring these things forward. And then the board's role is to discern whether or not it, it fits in the strategic direction that they think the Lord's taken them. Uh, Taken the organization now sometimes there's conflict there and oftentimes we're getting back to this topic of innovation because oftentimes what the leader thinks God's Discerning to them and what the board feels like they're being told are different right Uh and 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 Conflict can occur there and I think What what happens is in in those cases the leader needs to take a step back prayerfully understand what the concerns of the board are and to move forward, uh, going back essentially to the drawing board and praying about it, lifting it up before the Lord, researching potentially uh, a di- different avenues, different approaches. Uh, I can tell you that for me uh, uh, to innovate could take up to three years. So I brought a major a major change to how medsend would function and it took me 3 years to get it through the board wow. so it was an, a very intentional process of innovation it was a significantly uh, a, a fairly significant uh, addition to the ministry of medsend But I would bring the original idea and then they would, you know, they would provide feedback to me. They would provide direction. They would provide questions that I hadn't thought through. Uh, Then I would go back. And, of course, we only meet three times a year. So it would be months before I could get to them again and provide all the answers and, you know, the new visioning. Right. So, you know, that's kind of a drawback of only meeting three times a year. Uh, the difficulty of meeting monthly, or even more, is that the board most likely, when you see a board that's meeting on a, on a monthly basis, it generally is involved in the operation of the organization, and that can be a, a whole nother challenge for innovation. Right. But the leader should not expect innovation to happen quickly. It is a process and they should enter into it as a process so that they don't get frustrated because mm. the lord may be you know maybe leading them but moving and leading you quicker than the board yeah <laughs> and and it's your responsibility to be patient with the board to help them understand these issues uh, if it's a healthy board they they will consider innovation but they will do it in, a, in, a, in a, a very risk adverse manner, which is part of their responsibility to do it. Oftentimes, what happens is the you know the leader uh, feels rejected and uh, tables the idea and says, "Oh, this board isn't up to innovation," uh, when really what they want is more information, more guidance, more direction. And the leader can't get frustrated if he really wants he or she really wants to move through a process of innovation, bringing the board alongside of them.
0: Well, yeah. If you if you set up your board in in a healthy way, then they're gonna they're gonna make sure that you're not innovating yourself to like financial disaster, right? I mean, it, it's easy to innovate so much that. Your finances can't keep up with the vision of where you want to go and and run your organization into the ground. And so if if your board is wise and and set up in a healthy manner, they're going to make sure that you're, yes, moving in the right direction, but with patience and making sure that there's going to be success that comes out of it.
1: I I recommend for every board and every leader uh, uh, of nonprofit organizations to read the book Mission Creep. Uh, which really uh, part of what can happen if you don't have a healthy board and a healthy leader is that you can go chasing after Hmm. various areas of doing good, uh, but it gets away from the foundation upon which you are grounded. And um, all of a sudden you have an organization that's incredibly complicated And isn't serving the purpose that it was designed to do because you've had mission creep uh, and you've walked away from, you know, your first love, so to speak. So you have have to be very careful there because some people will use that against you to say, you know, you can't innovate because it's mission creep. Uh, and then, you know, other people will uh, try and, and pull innovation through too quickly mm. before the board. And then you, can, you have to watch just that there's not contention on the board. Now, do you recall who, who wrote that book? Uh, I don't. Thank you. Uh, I don't remember. Is, is it uh,
0: similar to um, a book by Peter Greer and Chris Horst called uh, Mission Drift? Yes, Is yes,
1: they- Mission Drift, that's it, and it was Gears, but yes, Mission Drift, that's right. Thank okay,
0: you. cool, I, I wanted to make sure, because I'd like to, yeah. I'll probably add that to the show notes as as a, um, that's actually, that's funny, that's a, a, one, that's a book that I've got on my desk right now, as a, <laughs> a, a book that I want to read, and two, we're going to be having Chris Horst on the show later today, so oh. hopefully we'll yeah. get to have some insight into that, I think that that, that could be a cool follow-up conversation to this conversation uh, maybe share some of the some of the similar ideas um, that you're bringing up today.
1: Oh, absolutely, because there is there's real tension there uh, between drift uh, and innovation, uh, and if you innovate in the wrong ways, uh, you know it it can lead you far afield. So you really, although I'm sure when I said it took me three years to get this innovate this innovation through. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure many of your listeners felt like, oh my goodness, how could you carry that for that <laughs> long? Um, uh, in the end, I, I really do believe that we have a much healthier program because of it. It's more related to our foundation. It fits well. It's blended well, and the whole board supports it. So. Although I know it's really difficult to carry a burden that long and to be challenged uh, and not be able to move forward, um, it is uh, it's difficult to do. But uh, I think the Lord honors it. Yeah. Now, is
0: that program you're you're speaking of that took you three years to start implementing? Is because I've talked with you and and some other people from your organization offline mm-hmm. in past conversations and um morgan boardman mentioned that you guys are have this new initiative or program where you're moving towards training up national doctors and national healthcare providers providers um, mm-hmm. rather than sending a, a, a maybe a more expensive uh, western doctor or nurse and long term mm-hmm. that could be a f- financially beneficial program to pursue is that is that what you're referring to
1: Yes, that's right. It's, uh, it's the Medicine National Scholars Program. That's what we refer to it as, and what we're doing is we're, we're providing scholarships to individuals. Right now, it's limited to physicians who want to go for advanced training, so it might be surgery, orthopedics, OBGYN, pediatrics. So they have been generally trained as a physician, uh-huh. and these are specialist programs that run anywhere from three to five years. and the training occurs within the country or continent where they live and serve. We don't bring them back to the West. Wow. We train them, We train them right there. Uh, and uh, it has it's been a great success. We've given about 35 scholarships in this case so far. And we do see a day when it will be, you know, the same size as uh, uh, us, our program, who sends from the United States to the world. Uh, so it's it's very exciting. It's incredible to see how God's using it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it took uh, it took three years uh, <laughs> in order to really, you know, position it correctly. But the challenge—it's iron sharp and iron. You know, it's it really is because. I would come forward with an idea, and then they would challenge me, and then I would come forward with another idea, and they would challenge me. And in the end, the program is so much better uh, and because of this process that we went through. And it is the process of innovation, right? Innovation, very, you know, sometimes it is the eureka or aha moment. But most of the times, it's an iterative process where you know you try, you, you refine, you try, you refine, you try, you refine. And it's more, much more labor intensive uh-huh. than it is the aha moment. And as leaders, we need to learn to be a little bit patient with ourselves, with our board, and frankly, with God. Because if we want it to be of God, that's the timing we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: just to yeah, you encourage me, I think that based on what I've heard from both you and Morgan, that that new initiative is brilliant. And so I'm really excited to see what God does through that. And even though it took maybe a few years to get implemented and, and there was some patience that was required on your part to walk your board through this new direction, I think that um, I'm excited to see what happens with medicine with this new initiative. So, yeah, Thank you. Well done, staying true to the path and and, and being (laughs) patient with it throughout Mm -hmm. that process. Um, Let's—I want to ask you one more question, and I I want to be careful how I word this question. But one of the things that—and I—I think you've touched on it a little bit—but as a marketer and storyteller on my end, one of the things that um, both I've been a little bit frustrated. With and I've seen organizational leaders have frustration with is working with boards that have um, been a little bit of a roadblock and barrier to successful marketing strategies and plans. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it seems like boards are made up of teams who maybe aren't necessarily in touch with current marketing practices and because Mm -hmm. they've maybe been successful in their own businesses or they've um, grown up. Uh, in a in a marketing landscape and built successful businesses for things for how things quote unquote used to be done, um, they limit the organizational leaders to um, function and practice in the current marketing landscape. And that current mm-hmm. marketing landscape, as we all know, is something that is changing it seems like on a day-to-day basis to keep up with what's going on, one is very difficult. And so I see both sides. I see like let's not run to this new thing that's happening in la- uh, marketing landscape because we don't know if it's going to work yet. But also on the other side, that we need to be um, communicating where audiences' attention is and, mm-hmm. and communicating in a, in a way that is relevant to how audiences are consuming content today. And so mm-hmm. how do you – how would you encourage organizational leaders that are maybe hitting roadblocks with their boards that don't allow them or are or, or restricted them to do some things that maybe uh, either have become standard in the marketing landscape or maybe, like we've talked about already, be innovative um, and and different than what those board members might have seen in their past experiences growing their own businesses or whatever it may be? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the the two words that come to mind are patience and education. Mm. Uh, and uh, the first one, patience, is making sure that you have a unified board for the reason that you think marketing is appropriate. Uh, so, what are you trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm and not in a marketing context, but in an organizational context, right? What, where, where are you trying to take the organization, uh, and get, make sure that you have agreement on that because oftentimes, you know, people, they will, they'll manifest their comments in, in this context of, uh, you know, using, let's say old marketing practices, but really, they haven't bought into why you're even doing it to begin with, right. So so you know, making sure that you've got some element of unity in the purpose, not in the execution model, not in the platforms that you're going to use, uh, because when when you're in that when you're at that level of detail, which by the way, a board who is acting in the role of staff is very likely to get in is more likely, to get involved with, okay, what platforms are you using? Oh, you know, those things don't work, so forth and so on, versus kind of a strategic board, which is thinking, okay, so we need to increase our reach to a demographic of, you know, 18 to 25-year-olds that we don't currently speak to. Now, Now that we agree to that, how do we speak to that demographic? Mm -hmm. So, if you don't have them to the point where they're all shaking their head yes to the fact that we have to hit this demographic in this example, then you're going to get all kinds of responses to, you know, the details of what you propose. So, patience, I would say, goes back to trying to create alignment and unity amongst the board members as to why you're doing what you're doing Mm -hmm. and i know you want to you know generally we want to get it all done in one meeting um but sometimes that's very difficult to do particularly if you're trying to transition your board from more staff to more strategic so uh Then the other component, and and it plays right into it, is education, which is bringing subject matter experts in uh, to talk about what's going on in the market today. So if you agree that you want to hit the 18 to 25 year old demographic, bring in people who really understand this to talk to the board about how you do that in today's uh, climate, in today's communication environment and uh, you may have to bring in more than one for the naysayers so you know it's really the this this combination of patience as you walk them towards specific agendas and mm-hmm. and you know common a- uh, objectives and then education to make sure that they really understand because most people won't I and mean, if you've got a pastor on your board generally they're not going to understand marketing principles right mm-hmm. Uh, you know and if you've got a let's say an older business guy he may have built his bu- bu- business advertising in newspapers yeah. and think that that's the way that you you know you build a business is you advertise in the newspaper well you know <laughs> you you can't just drop a proposal to hit 18 to 25 year olds in today's you know complex communications environment on individuals who have no context for what you're doing
2: Right. You, have,
1: you owe it to them and you owe it to yourself to be patient and to educate.
0: Right. That's our good word. Well, Rick, I think that's about all the time that we have. I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Can I quickly pray for MedSend?
1: Oh, please do. Yes. Uh, you can just pray for uh, you know God's people to respond with generosity as we go into the the end of the year, it, it uh, you know, it's always in for just about every ministry. It's uh, an <laughs> important time of year, and, uh, and you know, it's it's uh, an amazing blessing to uh, to watch. God's people uh, uh, assemble around what he wants to accomplish in the world.
0: Yeah. So, Father, I just thank you so much for Rick and his vision for this organization. I thank you for MedSend and what you're doing through this ministry. I pray that you would be with Rick and his team as they finish out their year. Uh, I pray that you would just bless them abundantly, that their donor base, their audience would be uh, incredibly generous towards this uh, work that you're doing through the organization MedSend. I pray that um, lives would be changed for the gospel and, and for your name, Jesus. That uh, you would keep all of their doctors all around the world, their nurses, their healthcare providers safe where they're at. You have uh, MedSend. You've you've placed healthcare providers through MedSend in places that are um, are dangerous and hostile to your name. And so I pray that you would protect them, uh, keep them safe, and and just do a mighty work through. Um, their willingness to say yes to your call and your your invitation to be a part of um, this story, this redemption of humanity that you've invited us into. Father, I thank you for Rick and his team and his willingness to serve you uh, through medicine. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, Merry Christmas, Rick. All thank right. you for being on the show.
1: All right. All right. Blessings. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at ReliantCreative.org. See you next time.